Welcome to Podcast Ain't Played Nobody with Bill Connolly and Steve, Stephen Godfrey. Your college football marriage of numbers and words, as Godfrey likes to say. Uh, Bill's here today, at least. Uh, we are reaching the end of our second season of podcasting, nearing, I think, uh, nearing 100 episodes, and we figured out a way to pull off a first of sorts. Uh, I'm not talking about the fact that I actually moved the landline out of my office downstairs, but I'm talking about the fact that Godfrey isn't actually here. Um, he's on assignment at the moment, uh, breaking coaching news while in the shower this morning or something like that. Uh, you'll read more about what he's doing on assignment, hopefully next week. Uh, but he insisted that the show go on, uh, and, uh, fear not, you're not going to have to listen to me filling dead air by myself for 80 minutes. Uh, I have strategically brought on a couple of guest hosts. This way Godfrey can say that it takes two people to fill his shoes, uh, or his boots, I guess. So at SB Nation, I've, I've, long felt that we kind of do college football as well as anybody. Um, you know, we take our work very seriously. We, we avoid taking the sport too seriously. Uh, I think I like to think that that balance shows. And this year, I think we managed to improve our coverage quite a bit by bringing on uh, three more full-timers in Richard Johnson, Morgan Moriarty, and Alex Kirshner. We had, Alex, uh, we had Richard on a couple of months ago, I should say. Uh, and we were looking for an opportunity to bring Morgan and Alex on. Well... Ta-da! An opportunity has presented itself. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Morgan and Alex as guest hosts for the day. Uh, say hello. E- either one of you. Yeah, I was going to let Morgan go first. I was going to. I was oh. going to defer, but I'm here now. I guess I'm, I'm talking, so we might as well continue. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, appreciate the chance. I guess podcast ain't play nobody offers scholarships to literally anybody, literally anybody nowadays. So I'm excited to. <laughs> You know, well, playing time to a walk-on first, then yeah. you work your way up to a scholarship. <laughs> yeah, so don't get too ahead of yourself. It's good Alex. to be on the bottom, be on the bottom of the roster for now. I'll try to <laughs> perform well on the scout team and, and just see what can see what can come just of it. Dedicate yourself. Just dedicate yourself <laughs> to helping the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So um, a couple of days ago, Morgan asked if there would be any sort of agenda for the day. I, I laughed heartily at that and said no, <laughs> but. Um, there are some obvious topics here uh, that we can, uh, you know, before we get to any sort of no topic nonsense, there are some, and we got some Twitter questions, a couple of obvious topics we should probably cover right at the start. Uh, in a moment, we can talk briefly about the college football playoff, our thoughts, uh, how they've developed over these last three or four days anyway. But first, we should discuss uh, this weekend's awarding of the only college football trophy that actually matters. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the Piesman on Friday night uh, in New York. So who do you got? I personally have Brian O'Neill from Pitt. Um, I am from Pittsburgh. I, I, I work remotely out of Pittsburgh, but that's not really it. I think what I appreciate about O'Neill's case uh, is that Pitt draws up plays for this offensive tackle to score touchdowns, yeah. and he scores them. I mean, you know, not that not that a happy coincidence of a lineman picking up a fumble or an interception or whatnot and scoring is not great, um, but but you know, Pitt has scored with like tackle end arounds and tackle screen <laughs> passes and things of that nature, so. Uh, I, I think it would be it'd be a damn shame if he couldn't bring it home. I have to go with him too because of that end around play. Um, I think that was a Thursday night game Pitt was playing, and that won me over. To be honest, I'm a little disappointed <laughs> that Ollie didn't get um, an invite, but he did finish finish. I think fourth, so it's not too bad. Pretty close, I think. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that, you know, this is Espionation's way of changing college football for the better. Uh, the fact that we are now seeing, play, like, you know, end arounds to, or tackles around. Yeah. And the, 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 the beautiful Monmouth play of let's hand it to a, a guard and let him throw the ball downfield. I like to think that was us. I, you know, that was, that was Espionation right there. And I'm really curious now how they raise their game in the future years to account for uh, you know, the, the rising popularity of the tackle around. I do think it's going to be Pitt. I, I, I think he's probably, uh, you know, the only way that it, uh, that it might hurt him is that he had two plays on the list. And so maybe he stole votes from himself, so to speak. But I, I got to figure he's the favorite heading into, heading into Friday night. Um, I, I don't really think there's any reason to talk about the other award being uh, awarded this weekend. Can either of you convince me that anybody but Lamar Jackson is going to win this? Alex, I think you have some thoughts on uh, Jabril Peppers. <laughs> I think sure. I think he's just a slam dunk candidate. Should definitely win. Has great stats. You know. No, I think he should. Sure. I think he. Jabril Peppers is a great player. Uh, if we lived in a world where defensive players were regularly awarded by Heisman voters for doing things that didn't show up in the stat sheet, I think he'd have a fair case. Um, we don't live in that world. There's no good reason that Jabril Peppers got the exception that other defenders don't get, especially when. There's no clear evidence that he is like the most disruptive defensive player in the country. I mean, he's a good linebacker, uh, good defensive back when he plays back there. But in my opinion, like the second best player on his own defense uh, with Jordan Lewis, the cornerback who uh, basically takes away an entire sector of the field every play. Um, but that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where you take a couple snaps at running back, you get some punt returns, then you're a Heisman candidate. If you are, I mean, I I just don't understand. I think he's a great player. I just, my beef is not with him as, as much as it is with voters. I um I, I was envisioning a scenario like it was funny after you know Lamar had the whole strike a Heisman pose and then fumble uh, against Kentucky. <laughs> um, you know the, everybody was like, okay, he's opened the door. He's he's lost it now. He's not gonna. He's you know he has no chance now. And then everybody realized, wait, I don't know who that who that means. There's not a number two candidate here. So maybe it is still Lamar. I do think. If, if Michigan had beaten Ohio State and if Peppers had been a major reason why and then if he had, you know, had a good punt return or something against uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game and they won that too, it, d- it did kind of feel like we had a Charles Woodson situation brewing there. Um, but no, I mean, I think th- there's just nothing there. Like the Lamar, n- number one, l- part of Lamar's problem is he set the bar so freaking high in September that he, even he kind of right. failed to continue meeting it. Nobody else met it. And two of the finalists are from OU, so they're going to kind of split the vote a little bit. So I think this is a runaway, even though they lost those last two games. Yeah, it's it's not even good. I mean, it might be a little bit close, but I don't know. I don't even know if I could say who's going to finish second. Maybe Deshaun? Yeah. And Vegas yeah, can't say it either. Vegas hasn't probably. even, they took Vegas, it hasn't even been putting lines on the board. I mean, we were going to do a little thing about Heisman odds the other night, um, and I was emailing with a, a PR guy from the sportsbook. I mean, they took these off the board weeks ago, and they might come back. They maybe will. I mean, who knows? But, I, I mean, they haven't been there. I mean, Vegas doesn't think there's any possible way to make money on it. Yeah, Deshaun also kind of fell victim to his own expectations. He struggled a little right. bit early on, and that probably hurt him. But maybe he is kind of the, the favorite for number two right now. And, I mean, kind of justifiably, he's been awesome the last month. Like, they they really kind of – the defense got kind of glitchy against Virginia Tech. But for the most part, I mean, I think we've seen everything we need to from Clemson. So, you know, maybe he benefits from that. Um, and speaking of, of Clemson then, so the – you know, we, we all had our initial reactions to the playoff draw. I mean, I think most of us, at least within SBN especially, you know, 
thought they picked the right four teams. Um, but have your impressions, uh, you know, uh, have your impressions uh, kind of evolved beyond, okay, it's Alabama? Because I, um, you know, that was one of the things that I always like uh, spelling out the odds. And I did an odds post yesterday. Uh, and it said, you know, Alabama's clearly, clearly the favorite here, but only like a 44% chance overall. So it's basically 50-50 Alabama versus the field. Um, do you, is it possible to see that, or is it just basically Alabama has to screw this up because they're so freaking good? I think it's the latter. Um, they're just so good, and especially <laughs> them getting Washington the first round. I thought it was a little interesting that they moved Clemson up to number two. I guess they value playing on championship Saturday more than we previously thought a little bit maybe, um, just because that game against Virginia Tech was so close. Yeah. I don't think people expected it to be that competitive. Um, so Bama obviously gets a really nice setup. No disrespect to Washington. They've been great. Um, but I think that that's a good matchup for Bama. Yeah. And, and I mean, that was – I kind of expected um, either Ohio State to stay, to stay at second or fall to fourth. Um, I, I kind of assumed that Clemson and Washington would either both move up, move up or both stay the same at the end of the day. But um, yeah. Yeah, I guess they just split the difference there. <laughs> and, and they made a move that doesn't actually matter at all other than, other than the color of the jerseys. But you know, Washington, I mean, Washington's been awesome. They're the only team in my rankings that are actually, that's actually in the, in the top 10 in offense and defense at the moment. And, and I think that probably means something. I just I watched the USC game, and until – until we right. see them not getting their run game blown up entirely and then not getting Jake Browning blown up on passing downs to where he's really having to rush himself a little bit and, and start to take more chances than he likes taking. Until we see that that doesn't happen, I kind of just assume that's going to happen. I don't think Alabama's going to run incredibly well on Washington. Washington's got a very good defense. I just don't see how Washington moves the ball. I think it'll be hard. I mean, you know, Washington's one of the few teams that – has the skill position guys that could yeah. at least make Bama like a, a touch nervous. Um, the, the problem is, I mean, if you're if your asset to the you know if your best thing you have going is that Jake Browning is gonna you know because you're not gonna really run against Alabama. So the best thing you have going is Jake Browning, you know, throwing to, to Daryl Daniels over the middle, throwing to John Ross and, and Chico McClatcher uh, and Dante Pettis. I mean, those guys are all great. I mean, John Ross has had one of the most prolific seasons of anybody in the country, but. I mean, who's going to cover him? I mean, it'll be, you know, Marlon yeah. Humphrey or, or Mika, Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it just, at some point, you just kind of run out of things that you can do. And I, I worry about it for Washington. As fun as it would be yeah. uh, to see them mountain upset, I think it's just tough for them. And we did see Florida, uh, you know, being able to find some success early in the game, doing a couple things they don't usually do. Um, basically saying, Hey, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't like our passing game very much, but we know we can't run. So we're just going to give this a shot and see what happens. And it kind of worked for like a few minutes. Um, and, and if Washington comes out with the same kind of approach, like maybe stretching side to side or just, uh, you know, doing something they don't necessarily, uh, do want to do or do most of the time, maybe it will work and maybe it'll, uh, you know, maybe they'll strike deep with Ross and they'll force a couple turnovers. I mean, it's not hard to see how like craft a scenario where it happens. It's, it's just, I need to see that the offensive line has any is holding up at all against Alabama. I agree. Yeah. Completely. Washington has to play as with anyone who plays Alabama this year. Perfect. <clears throat> you yeah. can't make yeah. any mistakes. And that's, I mean, it's so hard to do in the sport of college football, let alone yeah. against Alabama. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I reminded myself when I was writing the thing yesterday that you know, Ole Miss did nearly beat this team, and Arkansas, you know, if not for return touchdowns, Arkansas would have had a chance as well. Uh, well, if not for Alabama's return touchdowns, anyway. Like it is, and I mean, it was zero zero heading into the fourth quarter against LSU. Right. So I mean, it, theoretically, it is possible uh, if you get like one more break <laughs> than L, than LSU or Ole Miss did, then, then maybe that's enough to flip the game, but. Um, but yeah, the, the, the kryptonite for Washington for me, at least is that offensive line. And that's, that makes it a terrible matchup. Um, Alex, who you got for, for Clemson, Ohio state, I've gone back and forth about eight times on this one. I I was thinking about this too. I think Ohio state, uh, the reason being, I'm thinking back through Clemson's whole season. We've, I think we've correctly taken all year as a given that Clemson is really good. How many games have you watched Clemson play? And then left that game thinking, wow, Clemson's a real threat. Clemson could play with, um, I mean, we're thinking down the line to Alabama, but Clemson looks like the best team in the country. I mean, it really hasn't happened. Um, you know, they, they've narrowly escaped a whole bunch of times, and, and they deserve to be here. But aside from, you know, when they won at Florida State by a field goal, and even that was pretty close and got some officiating help at the end of the game, how many times have you really felt like Clemson looks um, like a juggernaut? How many times have you thought that about Ohio State? Probably a few. I mean, after they beat Oklahoma, certainly. Um, and, and after they gutted out some pretty tough wins against Wisconsin and, and Michigan later in the year. Um, I think Ohio State just has a better body of work. And I think, not that we're debating who gets into the playoff, but I think Ohio State uh, has the offense that, you know, with Clemson's secondary being as <laughs> shaky as it has at times been. Um, I know J.T. Barrett's not a throwing quarterback by trade, but I think that passing game can work pretty well. And I think it can open up the run enough that, that they'll score enough points. So I think Ohio State. Yeah, I've um, I've seen what I need to the last month or so from the from the Clemson offense. I think they've really, um, you know, they they were turning the ball over too much. They weren't running the ball well at all early in the year. But, I mean, they put up 54 against Syracuse. Well, 37 against Florida State, and that was a, a better Florida State. But, I mean, 54 against Syracuse, 42 against Pitt, 35 against Wake, and a lot of that was early where they could have probably done more if they wanted to. 56 against South Carolina, 42 against Virginia Tech. That's kind of – I mean, I, I think I've seen what I need to see from them. They, they still don't run the ball amazingly well. They don't get any sort of big plays at least. But they can get three, four, five yards. They can stay out of passing downs. Um, so I, I, I like that. But suddenly I find myself worried about Clemson's defense, which is not at all something I expected to happen this year. Um so I think for me, like for both of these quarterbacks, it's, you know, who, who's a, kind of avoiding that third and nine situation. And, and I mean, that's deadly for JT Barrett. They have not been good at all on passing downs. Uh, and Clemson obviously can rush the passer. But Clemson suddenly, not only is their pass defense kind of uh, shaky, their run defense has only been good this year and not great. Uh, so maybe they don't even have to worry about passing downs. I, I, I think I'm leading like 51-49 towards uh, Clemson right now, but that's, that, that'll change a lot. Where do you stand, Morgan? This game to me still is kind of a giant toss-up. Um, when it was first announced, I was really pumped about this game because I don't. I think I just was expecting either Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, Washington in the semifinal. I think this is going to be a really, really good game. Um, I think that Clemson has the edge at quarterback just because I trust Deshaun Watson running the oh, football yeah. a little bit more than I do JT Barrett. Um, I mean, I, I'm really, like, on the fence about this one. So <laughs> I think it'll be really close. I want to say Ohio State just because, like Alex was talking about earlier, I mean, so many times this season 
putting up 59 points against Nebraska. I mean, they, yeah. they've done so many good things this year, whereas Clemson, you know, you, you've walked away kind of saying, okay, well, maybe they shouldn't have been that close with NC State. So yeah. I, I like Ohio State right now, but, again, I'm back and forth, so that could change tomorrow. I think I was- Yeah, I actually just flipped back over to Ohio State because I remembered <laughs> Urban Meyer. Right. Um, Like the whole give Coach X a month thing. Dabo's fine. Dabo's one of the top 10 coaches in the country. But, um, I mean, Meyer, Saban, and Peterson are basically the top three on that. Give them a month list. So, yeah, I I think (laughs) – let me just go ahead and flip right back over to Ohio (laughs) State here, and then we'll – Okay, I'm not the one. And, look, if this doesn't sell anybody, last four games, Clemson has played Pitt and Virginia Tech in the outside of the sandwich they've given up. 43 and 35 to Pitt and Virginia Tech. They gave up a total of right. 20 to Wake Forest and South Carolina. That doesn't count. I mean, as far as playing Ohio State, it just doesn't count. Um, you know, Ohio State's the best offense out of um, any that they've played all year, um, you know, depending on your view. Yeah, Ohio State has a better offense than Florida State. We don't have to hedge about that. Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. That's, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And Louisville, <laughs> and Louisville did score 36 against them. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect that Ohio State is going to be kept – under the mid-30s in this game because every really good offense that they've played um, has scored at least, I think, 34 um, with, with Florida State being the low point of that. So I, yeah. I think I think if, if Clemson wants to win, they're going to have to score a bunch of points against an Ohio State defense that um, has really shaped up, and, and I just think it's going to be pretty difficult for them. I don't see it as quite the toss-up, but I do think it'll be a, a pretty close game. So, um, okay, that was enough relevant talk. That was good. That was almost like 20 minutes of, of actual fo- college football talk, but that's that's more than enough for PAPN. Um, I wanted to switch now. Uh, you guys are, uh, well, I mean, Alex, obviously you're not new to the company necessarily because you were running the uh, Testudo Times, but um, both of you are kind of new full-timers for SB Nation at least. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we'll start with Morgan. How did you get bitten by college football, and uh, when did you decide that college football was uh, something to pursue as a career? Great question. Um, As far as getting bit by college football, definitely from a young age. Um, My mom went to Florida, so we'd have Florida on the TV every Saturday. My dad's a huge college football fan in general. Um, Grew up watching my older brother play football. My dad was a coach, still is, um, at the high school level. So for me, it was just kind of part of my upbringing. Football was what we did on Saturdays. And then um, I went to the University of Florida thinking I was going to be pre-med. I laugh at this now because I'm horrible at math and science, and I knew that going in. Um, but I still was interested in journalism um, because it's it's a good program, and they have some people like Aaron Andrews, Jen Brown, Andrea Adelson, who's come out of there. Um, so my freshman year, I was kind of interested, but still staying the whole pre-med route. And um, actually, I wrote about this story a few weeks ago, the 2011 Iowa State-Oklahoma State game. Um, Oklahoma State was the number two team in the country, Iowa State goes to double overtime, upsets Oklahoma State, and creates chaos in the BCS. Um, And I remember watching that game and seeing the scene at Jack Trice, and I just said, okay, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to cover. I want to talk about these type of moments in college football. Um, And I remember texting my mom and saying, 
hey, I'm switching my major to journalism. Um, hope that's okay. And of course she was supportive and, and really excited. So um, I think that spring I switched um, to telecom, which is in the J school at UF and here I am now. So that's how it all started pretty much for me. <laughs> yeah, um, that actually, I mean, that tops me. I, I came to Missouri for journalism. And then after a semester realized like, wow, these kids are way more into this than I am. <laughs> um, and switched to communication after a semester. Uh, got a communication degree, realized I didn't know what the hell to do with that. Got an MBA, uh, started a blog, and then ended up writing anyway for a career. So um, you figured it out like five years before I did. So well, well done there. What about you, Alex? Uh, my story is a lot different than Morgan's, actually. I, uh, I went to Maryland. I got there in 2012. Um, did not really grow up with college football being my thing. I mean, I, I'm, I've watched it my entire life and nominally rooted for Pitt growing up. Um, but Pitt, you know, at Pitt and the college game in general, I've always really been fourth place where I'm from. Um, you know, the Western Pennsylvania is very much a Steelers region uh, when you're talking football um, and the Pirates and Penguins. And Bill and I have this in common um, with the Pirates. Um, we're always kind of my, my my major loves growing up. But uh went to Maryland and I was doing uh, just newspaper writing, covering I mean, politics, news and like campus administration uh, after our freshman year there. I um I sent a, an email to Pete Volk, who is a former assistant college football editor for us and now runs the Rift Herald, SB Nation's tremendous League of Legends site. Uh, and he brought me on to write for Testudo Times, our Maryland website. Um, I just kind of worked my way up with there and sort of just fell into it. It, it wasn't really intentional, um, but I, I've really come to enjoy it. I, I think the thing that's great about writing about college football is that there are so many stories to tell because there are so many teams and it's so culturally ingrained in so many places, frankly, ingrained more in places where I'm not from. Um, I imagine that you guys are, are surrounded much more by it being in Missouri and you know, Atlanta and Florida. But uh, it's been good. It's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I was going to say, your story kind of has to be different if you went to Maryland. But, I mean, I'm only Absolutely. a few steps... I'm only a few steps higher at, at Missouri, not exactly super high up the, uh, the football totem pole either. But... Um, no, I, I'm always uh, curious about the origin stories. It, it is always kind of a, uh, uh, it, it's a, uh, often a moment like what you said, Morgan, where you just kind of like, you know, whether it's your team rushing the field or whatever else, it, it usually involves some massive uh, show of uh, of joy. I still remember, like, so for the, the book I wrote a couple of years ago, Study Hall, uh, in the first chapter, I kind of, I asked everybody I talked to basically like the same kind of question, when'd you get bit? Uh, and I think it was Godfrey, actually, who said something to the effect of, you know, he was on the field for, uh, I think, 03 Ole Miss LSU. or So one of those early, like, it was a humongous, it was the biggest Ole Miss LSU game in years. And it was back and forth and dramatic and, and uh, really tight until the end. I think Ole Miss missed a field goal or something like that. But I remember him saying, like, that he realized it because he started to realize that their passion is his passion. I think that was the way he put it. I really have no need to compliment Godfrey. He's gone, and I can make <laughs> fun of him all I want. But I remember that quote. Uh, because that that is a lot a lot of it, and and um, <laughs> fans uh, during the season, especially especially late in a given season, just get angry and pissy, and and, uh, and aren't nearly as much fun to deal with. But they're also the best thing to deal with, and the best reason, the best thing about the sport. And so, um, I mean, we're all writing for a, a website that has fan perspective in the title, like or in in the catchphrase. So <laughs> uh, here we are. Um, okay, so then. 
As I hastily attempted to actually craft something resembling an agenda for the show, I also asked that both of you uh, bring a topic to the table. Just a random topic doesn't need to be anything actually important at all, but a topic to discuss. Uh, Alex, I already know what you selected because there's no take backs, but let's, let's talk about what you selected. Well, do we really want to do this to these people, Bill? <laughs> have you listened to this show? I have. I have. Okay. okay. Yes. All right. So there is uh, a, a big college football game coming up, um, one that will be played in, in a classic uh, NFL venue um, right around the holidays that, that I suspect will reverberate far and wide. Um, I'm talking, of course, about the quick lane bowl with Maryland and Boston College. Um, will this be the best game of bowl season? If you are if I think you're basing be. that on nothing but the, the tightness of the projection, it is number 87 in S&P versus number 88. Maryland is projected to win 24.1 to 24. So, yes, by that definition, this is the only bowl <laughs> game of the bowl season. I mean, I'll always remember where I was when that happened, I'm sure. Um, so, so, yeah, that will be captivating. There's also Army-Navy. Um, yes. If we wanted – I mean, I would probably rather talk about the Quick Lane Bowl. I just think it's a more important, prestigious <laughs> game. But, sure. but Army-Navy could be a lot of fun, too. I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys. Okay. Well, first, um, in an attempt at relevance, we will, I guess, tackle Army-Navy. This appears to be this appears to be Army's best chance in a very long time, and I say that about a series that, what, has been like four of the last five or three of the last four decided by a touchdown or less. So um, does feel like suddenly momentum has shifted to Army and that, number one, they can actually – well, they always defend Navy well because they, you know, we we always one one of the preconceived notions of navy joining a conference uh, one of the one of the takes was that this is going to hurt navy because opponents will see them and then they'll know how to defend them and then they won't be good anymore um that that was and has always been an insult to Ken Niamatololo because and his offensive coordinator Ivan Jasper because the more they see of an opponent the more they know what that opponent is going to do to try to stop them and they can do other things because they have that especially with a system like that any system really but a system like that especially it's it's kind of an if then situation if they're going to do this we're going to do this and if they do this we're going to do this uh, and they're so disciplined in their execution they're so good at recognizing spotting things very quickly and adjusting that it is very, very hard to stop them repeatedly. And nobody's uh, hardly anybody's done it. At least Temple did it the other day, but they got help from uh, the quarterback getting hurt. So, yep. uh, but Army does defend them well. They've held them t- well under their, their season averages for most of the last five years. And now you've got a situation where Navy has a brand new quarterback. Um, you know, he played pretty well the other day to a, to a degree at least. Um, but the, you know, now they're, you know, it almost feels like army has an, a defensive advantage. Uh, Navy, meanwhile, their defense stinks and has stinked all, has stunk all year. Stinks. Nice. Um, <laughs> uh, it just hasn't mattered because their offense has been so awesome. So, you know, can, if, if Navy can only score 17, 20, is that enough for that glitchy defense? But Anyway, that, that's my little spiel about the actual analysis of the game. We really actually talk about the strategic analysis of Army-Navy in part because we know what both teams are going to try to do. Um, but, you know, Morgan, generally speaking, what do, you, what do you usually take away from this game? Is it, you know, just the, the streak? Is it Vern in the booth? What, what are your takeaways from Army-Navy in general? Vern and the triple option. Um, I love watching that offense. Speaking of quarterbacks, I think Navy's going to be fine. You don't really need, I mean, do you really need a, a 
gunslinger quarterback to run the triple option. <laughs> well, he needs to not throw picks like he did on Saturday. That, that's the main. Okay, that's he's going to throw like he's going to throw like ten times <laughs> as long as they don't go to the other team. It's fine. Yeah. Maybe limit that to like eight, and they'll be okay. There you go. Um, Vern, Uncle Vern, as you all know, who follow me on Twitter, seeing huh. my work on SB Nation, uh, very, very fond of Uncle Vern. Um, Saturday is going to be emotional. It's his last CBS game. Um, do they do a bowl game? Vernon? No, Gary? he's that. That's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's couple, it. They used to do the Sun Bowl. Uh, but that okay. switched over to, uh, was it Carter Blackburn and Gary the last few years? Uh, apparently Gary just likes going to El Paso. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Vern, this will be Vern's last game. Yeah, that's going to be really sad. I got <laughs> upset at his um, final SEC game this past weekend against with Florida-Alabama. Uh, so I can't imagine how I'm going to be on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Vern is... Um, well, I, you know, he's, he's, he, well, he's proof that, you know, I don't really care. I mean, he's, he's been very accurate for most of his career and that's fine. But what I, I, my number one requirement for any announcer at all is just like, act like, let me know that you enjoyed being there, that you enjoy talking about the sport. That was what always drove me crazy about like Billy Packer. Um, Billy Packer knows exact knows what he's talking about, knows things about college basketball uh, that you know, and, and is able to recall things. He 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 analyzes the game fine. He always sounds miserable, um, and I, that's that's what always drove me crazy about him. Is just like he he you know he just complain and and I just like no, just enjoy yourself. Let me let this be an enjoyable experience for for me personally. <laughs> And Vern does that better than anybody else in the world. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be tough. And we'll see how Gary does without him. And it's just a fun game because it's literally the only game that day. Yeah. And then you have the Heisman that night. So, I mean, what else are you going to watch? Yeah, no, it's um, – and, I mean, the pomp and circumstance and all that. I always kind of roll my eyes about that. Like, you know, anytime people start to talk too much about one thing, like a, a tradition or whatever, it starts to feel <laughs> like it's a cliché. Uh, but then you actually watch it. You're like, damn, this is awesome every yeah. single year. So, yeah, no complaints there. Um, all right, so then Quick Lane Bowl. The Quick Lane Bowl. What a thrill that could be. Um, I actually – the Quick Lane Bowl, obviously the game itself, um, you know, it'll be the Quick Lane Bowl. But I think I think it's an interesting case of two programs um, that are in semi-interesting places. Maryland more so, although I'm maybe I'm just being a homer than BC because Maryland had – Kind of a weird first year under DJ Durkin. I'm curious, Bill, what you would make of them. They they went from three and nine to six and six. They didn't really beat anybody. Their best win was right. was probably right. Michigan State, which well, you know, wrong year for that to be the case. Um, but S and P does not like them whatsoever. They actually got worse in that regard. They can't really do oh, anything yeah. in particular, um, particularly <laughs> on defense. On defense, certainly not. I mean, their defense is Swiss cheese. Um, but they're recruiting, you know, kind of low key at like a top, top 20 level right now for 2017. So wondering what happens there, wondering how much longer Steve Adazio gets at BC. He made a bowl, so I'm guessing a while cause he got extended two years ago. Um, I mean, he was a guy who I, I was kind of figuring would not make it through the year, but clearly he has and probably will not be fired because he won six games. So a couple of programs that could kind of teeter either way. So the quick lane bowl on boxing day. Around, I believe, two or something, something to that effect, could be, could be. I mean, it might be the single least watchable bowl game, but it could. I mean, it's a bowl game, and, and 
And it should yeah, be quick. Right. It shouldn't be a game that lasts four hours by any stretch of the imagination because these teams aren't – hey, these teams don't want to be there either. <laughs> but um, they also run the ball a hell of a lot. So, um, you know, that's the, you have that to look forward to. Even if you, if you invest in this situation, it won't be four miserable hours of your life. They'll get it over with pretty quick. I will say, like, Maryland's year this year has been kind of hilarious. Like, looking at their um, – Looking at the the rankings of each team they played, like if you were in the top fifty, you killed Maryland. Yeah, by like four, unless, four to five touchdowns. Uh, yeah, unless you're Indiana, and I mean that game was close. But uh, you know, based on S and P, you know, number twelve Penn State, thirty eight fourteen. Number two, uh, I won't even bring up Michigan and Ohio State because you know I'm trying to be nice. Um, uh-huh. Number thirty four Nebraska, twenty eight seven. So if you were a top fifteen or fifty team, you murdered Maryland. But if you weren't. Uh, 54 Michigan State, Maryland won 28-17. Uh, awful Rutgers, awful Florida International, awful, awful Purdue had little to offer. So it kind of seems like they play, you know, it, it kind of depends on how good their opponent is. And, you know, BC, not very good. So, you know, that feels like an opportunity for Maryland there uh, to really kind of prove themselves. Mar- BC is just slightly less of a caricature than they were last year in terms of great defense and the world's worst offense this year. They're, they are only fourth worst in offense in my rankings. So, uh, you know, big things on the way there. I do kind of two years ago, BC fans were like, when I, when I'd write a preview about BC, uh, in the off season, they were already tired of Adazio and he was winning. Um, I mean, not winning a ton, but going seven and six, eight and five or whatever. And, and, and put, and putting on a pretty fun offensive show either, um, with, with Tyler Murphy or uh, Andre Williams. Williams. Yeah, Andre yeah. Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and so they were at least showing a little bit of promise on that side of the ball. The defense was improving. I was like, you know, maybe if they don't, you know, I think after they lost Tyler Murphy, my, in my preview I said something to the effect of, if their offense doesn't completely collapse, their defense should be good enough for them to be a pretty decent team. Uh, their offense more than collapsed, and it really hasn't rebounded this year. So I don't think any BC fan is going to be particularly happy with Adazio and, and being able to go to Detroit uh, in a bowl game that used to be sponsored by Little Caesars probably doesn't change that <laughs> the very much. The worst pizza, yeah. Why, um, did, why oh, should be. did Little Caesars let that sponsorship go? I loved that. They weren't probably weren't selling enough pizzas, if I had to guess. They still, I, <laughs> I still did. see I, their commercials, like, probably once a day yeah. if I'm watching TV. Yeah. Can I bring up one uh, thing, yeah, too? I, public, just a public service announcement. I, I meant to say this earlier. If you do watch the Quick Lane Bowl, Maryland has one actually really good offensive player. Get in on this ship for next year. Ty Johnson, sophomore running back, um, averaging nine yards a carry this year. Um, if Boston College's defense does not play well, and Boston College's defense is good, he could go over 1,000 yards. Um, Bill, Bill keeps a, a terrific stat that I imagine is familiar to Papin listeners. Um, highlight yards, you know, when you get beyond the five-yard window that is supposed to be the responsibility of your offensive line, how many more yards do you get per carry? Ty Johnson had an outrageous 12 highlight yards per opportunity beyond five yards. Really explosive. He will be an all-Big Ten running back alongside Saquon Barkley next season. Keep an eye on Ty Johnson. Just putting it out there. You'll, you'll sound smart this time next year. <laughs> uh, two things. Uh, Lorenzo Harrison also uh, seven yards per carry, eight highlight yards. Very solid freshman back. So it does appear there's some promise there. Uh, the other thing, I don't think I've ever heard somebody actually say Pappen. Um, I'm not sure how <laughs> I feel about that. You, wait, are you kidding um, me? I'm gonna have to. Are you joking? I, I'm gonna have to like take that one to the to, to Twitter and, and see how people how, how people respond because I, I don't know. I just never. It's always been P A P N to me. I've never heard. Wow. Pappen. Wait. Like, th- I'm sorry. Wait. 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 This is because we communicate almost always by the written word 
Like Correct. We're in Slack. I have been. I'm sorry, Bill. I've been calling this thing Pappin in my head for for ages, yeah, ages. I mean, and that's forever. You know, that's fine. You I, know, suppose, like, um, I suppose. What you is have it not. there? Yeah. No, but that's fine. And you know, was that uh, Maracaibo in Venezuela, where it was like separated from the rest <laughs> of civilization for 500 years, uh, to where they kind of developed their own way of doing everything. Um, you know, same thing here. We we all, we all live on our own little islands here. If we're not. Um, you know, except for the people that are actually in D.C. and, and actually actual human beings with offices uh, or, or computers, at least in an office. Uh, so that one that just it just took me off guard is all I'm saying. Maybe maybe everybody else in, in in the universe, aside from Godfrey and I actually say Pappen and I just didn't know it. No, this is we should really, find that out. A, yeah, this is yeah. really something yeah. that 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 my curiosity. Yeah, so when people reach this point in the podcast, they will start responding <laughs> on Twitter. I hope. I'm I'm requesting people respond, and and I want people. I want to know whether people in their heads, when they see the letters P A P N mashed together, do they see P A P N? Do they say Pappen? Yeah, I got. I mean, I I was calling gifs gifs for years, and for a while, I was calling them GIFs uh, in my head. So. <laughs> Look, it, it, it's probably a me problem, but... You if, are if, not if, calling them GIFs. If the silent majority is with me in any way on this, then then please speak up. <laughs> well, that's that's what this podcast is all about, the silent majority. But yeah, GIFs is interesting too, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, no, among other things, it's interesting because you just laid out the letters. But in, in Pappen's case... <laughs> There's no consistency okay. in this life. Okay. okay. I'm a Maryland guy. Uh, yeah. So I hope that, you know, I mean, we can, I can talk about all the ways that Boston College's defense or offense really does stink, um, but we probably covered this game enough. I really, I mean, it is when Maryland has the ball, the game should be interesting because Maryland can run the ball, uh, at least until you, uh, you know, as, at least as long as you have any reason at all to respect the pass, which, uh, no we can, offense, Let's move but, on. We can move on. Okay. 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 Well, I hope we did that. Uh, some some semblance. Don't of talk service. about the past. Uh, Just don't more. talk about the past when, when you're talking to a Maryland fan. It's 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 difficult. But he has been recruiting well, um, and so if you improve your win total, even with a massively flawed team, I I am myself a fan of a massively flawed team with a terrible offense last year. The offense did turn around. Granted, uh, the defense started uh, sinking drastically, but. Um, it is very nice. Like you, you just kind of have to take your, take your progress where you can get it at first. And then, uh, hope that the whole thing, the whole ship gets righted at some point, but first year inheriting an iffy team, it, this is what happens. Morgan, what's your topic? Uh, so I could not come up with one last night, but I think I have one question. Does it need to be college football related? No, no, no. Um, favorite top five holiday movies. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. See, my impressions are now being kind of, uh, skewed by having a five-year-old. <laughs> so, uh, my options are, are not the options, uh, that, that I used to have. I've not seen Christmas Vacation, for instance, in quite a while. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, it's your question, so that means you get to go first. Okay, number one, Christmas story has to be. Two, I'll go Christmas vacation. Three, um, 
With Santa Claus, four elf. Okay. Ooh, I need a five. Uh, Home Alone 2, because I just watched it the other night. <laughs> so I do think the five-year-old is probably ready for the Santa Claus. She did see the Shaggy Dog a while back when it was on some random channel. Um, so Tim Allen as a different character seems to be in her wheelhouse <laughs> now. Um, but really, to, to date, we have exposed her only to like Charlie Brown Christmas and Grinch. Rudolph, I uh, hope. I'm trying to like I don't we don't own Rudolph, but surely it's been on TV at some point. Hmm. Yeah, no, I have to, and and of course, Christmas Story. Although that one doesn't even really count anymore because it's it's on 38 different channels every single day of December. But um, it's on for 24 hours right, uh, on Christmas. Yes, and we end up watching part of it, which just to, kind of to to annoy my wife, who who gave up on this movie like 15 years ago. But um, yeah, that's that's. That's not a bad list. I will say of those, I'll probably only get to see Santa Claus this year in Christmas Story. But, you know, we'll see what we can do. Uh, for, a, for a different perspective, how about you, Alex? Well, I am a fan. So I actually, for, for our listeners who wouldn't know this, I am Jewish myself. However, I do like Christmas movies. I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't discriminate against other religions' movies. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think Elf might be my favorite. Um, I was like 9 or 10 when Elf came out. Big Elf fan. Um, I, I like Home Alone. Um, not sure how I feel about Home Alone 2. Um, the Prince of Egypt, the Hanukkah story, um, is, is a decent one, although I'm not sure that it's technically a Hanukkah story. It's more, more probably a Passover story that is for some reason watched around Hanukkah by the Jewish people in America. Um, and, you know, I don't want to water, water things down, so I just leave... I would say that my top two Christmas movies... That, that would be most known to a wide audience are probably Elf and Home Alone. Although I was sad to hear okay. what happened to the kid from Home Alone when he grew up. Like he turned out, like Macaulay Culkin apparently has had like a rough life, which I didn't know until after I'd seen the movie and it made me very upset. <laughs> I think he's, he's rallied a little bit, or at least to a degree. Um, you know, because yeah, if you become that big a star at age 10 or whatever, you have no chance um, of, of any sort of normal upbringing and... Like, and I, that's one thing I've learned from having a kid is even like, if we have a day where she doesn't get like stimulated, her, you know, she doesn't get to play as much or, or whatever, uh, she turns into something completely different. <laughs> uh, whether it's, whether it's like a stimulation thing, whether it's a, you know, she's, uh, whatever, doesn't get as much one-on-one time, whatever it is, uh, she's completely different the next day. If you are a star at age eight or 10 or 12 or whatever, you do not have a normal day thereafter. And, um... That's just going to mess with your development in a massive, massive way. Um, I wish him so, well. So, uh, uh, oh, that's okay. I hope he's okay. Um, that's all I hope for is that he's okay. I'm not going to look at his Wikipedia page to find out that he's not. But I, th- but last I saw, years and years ago, uh, he was better, and he was in. He was, you know, he was in Saved. That random Mandy Moore. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Movie. I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> I enjoyed that movie. Um, God, that's like twelve years ago. <laughs> So I looked, I pulled up a list just to make sure I wasn't forgetting something obvious. And, and I pulled up, I stumbled into what might be the worst list I've ever seen for top 10 holiday movies of all time. It, number one was tied between Scrooged and the original Scrooge. Oh, so God. I shouldn't be a snob. I, 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 I've probably seen the original Scrooge at some point, but I, uh, I don't know. Okay. So anyway, Scrooge is fine. Christmas Vacation is next. Christmas Story, Home Alone, Elf. The Nightmare Before Christmas is up there. I don't know. Tim Burton's never really done it for me uh, to any major degree. Same. But 
That's fine. Um, number eight is The Best Man Holiday, starring Tay Diggs, Nia Long, and Morris Chestnut, uh, 2013. Uh, I've seen about three new movies since 2010, and so I, I would not be able to vouch for that either way. Miracle on 434th Street gets the token spot at number nine, and then Bad Santa at number 10. Uh, that is a fine. horrible Bad Santa list. Was fine. I, I really, I've got some, I've got some uh, issues here, but Bad Santa, whatever. That's, I, I think that's, you know, it was good enough to make a sequel. It was successful enough to make a sequel anyway. Um, moving on, <laughs> because we're actually, I'm actually, I don't know why I'm trying to stay semi-organized. I think I, I was intimidated by somebody asking if we had an agenda or something, but, um, Let's see. So we, I did solicit reader questions. Most of them are relatively predictable for both PAPN and college football in general, but I thought we could walk through some of them. Um, first question. Should Maryland fans be optimistic about DJ Durkin, or are we headed to a bunch of six or seven win <laughs> years? That was from our friend uh, the Ned Bellavo, I guess, uh, on Twitter, at the Ned Bellavo. Um, we covered some of this, but, but Alex, I'll just give you the floor for the next... 45 seconds. Uh, I think Maryland fans should be optimistic that things will be better than they have been. The bar is relatively low. Randy Etzel's administration did not do so well. Um, They are never going to be beating out Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State on the regular for great recruits. Um, They had one, Josh Kando, a five-star defensive end, committed recently. He just decommitted. Might be going to Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan. Who knows? Um, But yeah, things will be better than they've been. Not going to win 10 games. Could win eight with, with pretty good regularity and you know what when we're maryland people that's okay (laughs) yeah you really at a school like that and again i have this experience like you really you're gearing up for the season where things kind of click in place in terms of experience like hopefully the recruiting improves hopefully the recruiting's top 40 i mean in theory here durkin might be able to kind of get do better than that for a little while but if you're hitting top 40 recruiting and you're well organized and you're developing guys and then when a certain like when your quarterback and and a couple other key weapons are juniors and seniors then you can kind of hope that maybe the whole thing moves forward at least briefly and it's going to reset it's going to fall back when those guys graduate probably um but that's to me it's kind of just about cycles and hoping that when you hit the peak of that cycle you are in position to if if you're not in position to win your division you're at least beating in this case an ohio state or michigan or penn state or whoever scoring a couple of of good wins making making home fans happy um and then just hoping that your recruiting doesn't eventually produce some duds that's i mean when you are are a second tier school that i think that has to be what you're aiming for and we don't know that durkin won't do that yet yeah uh Next, uh, this is P- uh, APN. I was mad that the first response wasn't. Oh no, actually, the first response was about Purdue. Sorry. Um, this is a Purdue podcast, the official Purdue podcast. Actually, uh, where does Purdue's coaching upgrade put them in the Big Ten West? Are they now ahead of Tracy Clay's and Lovey Smith? Um, two things about that. First, I really, really like Brom. I think that was a very good hire. One that I wasn't sure Purdue would be able to make. Uh, I thought that maybe they, that, that maybe they well they, they hadn't really necessarily shown the willingness to spend a lot of money, but then in their in their uh, you know they had two months to prepare for this and they didn't really necessarily seem to have much of a plan in place for who they were actually going to hire. It's kind of curious, but I think they made a very good hire. Uh, allow me to defend Tracy Clay's though. We've all assumed that Tracy Clay's is going to stink because he wasn't very creative. Uh, be, he wasn't a creative hire and. and uh, he's not going to start suddenly recruiting top 20 classes. Uh, Minnesota went, went, what, like 8-4 and four this year? 
uh, with some, like that, I, I think they showed a decent amount of upside. That might actually not be a terrible hire. Lovey, <laughs> Lovey has his work cut out for him. Um, but just in terms of what they've proven as head coaches, Brahms had, I think Western Kentucky kind of gamed my own S and P numbers uh, the last couple of years, where they wouldn't necessarily show play like a top twenty team against it, like you know Vanderbilt, but then against Conference USA teams, they'd be up twenty eight three after the first quarter every time. Uh, And so they end up, but that's two straight years now where they've had really, really high ratings in my system. They've won a lot of games. Uh, He's done it with recruits that were from Willie Taggart, with recruits that were from Bobby Petrino, with his own recruits, with transfers. Um, With a relatively unstable two deep, he's managed to produce a very, very high caliber. And, um, you know, he doesn't even have to recruit like at a top 40 level for Purdue to probably have a good offense in a couple of years. If he's able to at least do what he's done recently, defense might be an issue. But I, I really, really like the hire. I, I don't know. Um, I, I was I was surprised they made it, and I think it's it's a it's a nice upgrade for them. Now, uh, Morgan, you are not an official PAP and host, <laughs> therefore you might not have any opinion on Purdue. But here's your chance to, to here's your here's your chance to wax poetic about the Purdue Boilermakers if you choose to do so. Um, don't have much of one, <laughs> but I guess like what's the ceiling for a Jeff Brom coached Purdue program? You know, I mean, I would say they could be, well, we were just talking about cycles at the top end of a cycle where they've got the experience and a good quarterback. I, I don't see why they couldn't play like a top 20, 25 level. Um, it's a cycle. So not you, you would not be expecting to do that every right. year. But I mean, Joe Tiller kind of, Joe Tiller did that. I mean, he was able to, even when he made the Rose Bowl, he didn't have like a top five team or anything like that, but he was able to put a lot of, a lot of teams on the field that were capable of playing in that like 10 to 25 range. And then they'd fall back and then they'd come back and he did that for like a decade. Um, but I don't see why Brom couldn't, that, that should be the goal anyway. We'll see. I mean, if he's actually good enough, we don't know anything about his like, program maintenance ability because he's barely been a head coach but um i i think that uh, i don't see why that couldn't at least be the goal um and you know if you time your your sudden rise well they're in the they're in the west right yes yeah so um you know that's the division to be in if you, you know if, if indiana makes a sudden rise to top 20 that probably does isn't going to help them all that much in terms of winning the division right. but if you time your top 15 or so run with uh wisconsin having a, a less than impressive uh year and with other schools only being top 25 or 30 then there you go you have a chance at a division title and that'd be amazing to see purdue in the division in, in the big 10 title game so um, i'm not sure i can handle i i, I want to see that, that that's, that's what, what i want do. to happen just once, yes. just one time. Yeah, even if they're eight and four, just get them there one time, and and yeah, I'm 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 all for that. Uh, our friend at Lane Nichols asks, what offense can Willie Taggart put together for next year? Um, I mean, God, I would hope he wouldn't change much. Yeah. Like of all the of all of Oregon's problems right now, they still have massive upside at quarterback, massive upside in the um, in the receiving core. Their 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 two deep was absurdly young this year. And I think, so I think he walks into a pretty good situation. It's going to be, to me, it's going to be pretty interesting with Willie because, um, you know, first year at Western Kentucky went two and 10 first year at South Florida, he went two and 10. He did not inherit this much raw talent, right. uh, but he's in a very tough division now. And, um, you know, if, if it takes a little while for the defense, well, let's, if, if he produces basically a Helfrich record, Helfrich record next year, if he goes somewhere between about four and eight and six and six, uh, you know, 
you could easily say, well, that's what he inherited. It's going to take him a while. But I, I, what I'm curious about is uh, what are Oregon's, what are Oregon fans expecting right now? Um, where, where's their head? How, how, how much of a grace period are they willing to give him? I don't think he'll need that long. I don't think they're going two and 10. Um, I think their offense is going to be very good. It might take him quite a while to put together any semblance of a defense though, because I mean, they were young and only like two guys showed like serious upside. So that's kind of a black hole. Either one of you, do you have anything to add to, uh, to Willie at Oregon? I think he'll do great. I, I think it could take a while, as you've alluded to with the defense. Um, you know, Oregon this year, um, the offense was kind of a problem too because it, it, you know, it was still good. It was about a top 30 offense. Uh, I think they scored 35 points per game. That's good for most programs, but, you know, when, when you're accustomed to living in the top five every year, uh, it, it doesn't work out quite that way. And then when the defense tanks the way it tanks, it hurts. Um, I can't imagine that he's not going to have that as a top 10 offense in his first year. I mean, I know that's kind of a, a big thing to put on a first-year coach, but <laughs> and, I, and I realize that. But, I mean, what he's done at South Florida um, with not very heavily recruited guys, I mean, though he is a good recruiter, um, has been incredible. I mean, Quentin Flowers and, and Marlon Mack and the havoc that they've wrecked on so many different teams over the last two years. Um, Oregon has the pieces in place. I don't know if he has the running quarterback that makes the exact same system work at Oregon. I mean, right, Justin right. Herbert is not not like that. He's more of a drop-back guy. Um, but I think I think he's going to figure it out. I mean, he clearly knows what he's doing. So I think points are going to happen pretty quickly. I'd expect you'll see them, you know, right around 40-ish points a game, kind of close to where they've been. And if they can figure anything at all out on defense, they should be better. I mean, they should be in a decent bowl game next year, in my opinion. They should win seven or eight games and have a few good wins. Yeah, okay. I really, really like the hire. Um, biggest, I think for Oregon fans, they're kind of, they don't really know what to expect because this is the first time they haven't really hired someone from within in something like 40 years. It was 1976, the last time they fired a head coach. Most of the guys they've had have been either former coordinators or guys that coached out West, stuff like that. So I, I think they're excited because they know what he's done at Western Kentucky and South Florida. Um, but I, I think their Oregon did a tremendous job. I'm really excited to see what Taggart does. And you're right about getting the talent. You look at his records starting out at programs. I don't think that's going to be the case at Oregon when you have already just better kids coming in with. I, um, I'm seeing on Twitter, by the way, now that Luther Campbell has weighed in, uh, saying that don't be surprised if Charlie Strong ends up at Oregon as Willie's uh, defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, that'd be fun. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah um, me too. Seems smart to me. And, 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 I mean, if Uncle Luke says it, then, I mean, who am I to, who am I to say he's wrong? Um, I, you know, it is going to be, you know, even with Charlie Strong, it, it was kind of funny. Like, his, the last thing to round into form at Louisville when Strong was there, I mean, he's a, you know, career defensive coach. Uh, the defense kind of lagged behind, and, and he finally kind of got the pieces in place his last year there, and they, they took a nice overall uh, program step forward. But, um, I mean, even he, like, Brady Hoke had good had su- defensive success in his past too, and it didn't matter. Right. Uh, they'll have to upgrade recruiting on that side of the ball. It does seem like, I mean, just, you know, uh, Helfrich even said uh, in an interview, what was it last week? I guess that um, you know he he hated recruiting too, and he wasn't very good at it. Um, I guess anybody could sell 
quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers on the Oregon program, but but it seemed like the rest of the two deep had just lagged behind. And um, we'll see how long it takes them to to get that back together. Having those Stanford ties, being, having having recruited on the West Coast before, that'll help. And you know he, he'll recruit nationwide and all that. So maybe it'll be maybe the connections he has will work out well. I just um, yeah, I'm really curious how long it takes him to get everything kind of fixed up. I'm I'm curious about how how much time he gets um doesn't feel like this is a rebuild because there really was a massive youth movement this year i just uh, even with experience i don't know what the ceiling is on defense uh next we had two different people ask about the lane kiffin to usf talk um like i said very topical today i uh, this makes me uncomfortable but um i mean either of you feel free to jump in here i think it seems like it'd be awesome because Lane Kiffin around talent uh, usually works out pretty well. You have to, if you're Lane Kiffin, you, the, he has not proven that he can take a team with even talent and do amazing things. But if he's able to recruit to the point where he has more talent than you, he's going to be able to operate. He's going to be able to deploy that talent very well. Um, and I, I, I don't, I mean, if, if he gets the USF job, he'll probably have more talent than the teams in his division. So that seems like a good marriage. Yeah, I think offensively, just from a recruiting standpoint, being in the state of Florida would be great for Lane Kiffin. It's really not hard to go in your backyard and find kids that are talented um, in the Tampa area. Um, and also, I mean, I think I think it's a job where he can – it'll be – if he does get it, it'll be kind of a stepping stone to a Power 5 job. So it's kind of – USF saying, all right, right, Lane, we like what you did right. at Alabama. Um, so here's the keys. So take this and show us what you can do. Then, you know, other, I guess that should be other teams talking, not USF. Um, just, I mean, he's going to be under a microscope kind of from bigger programs to say, okay, are you going to do yeah. the same things you did at Tennessee and USC? Let's see how you do with a bunch of talent at USF. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, here are the keys on a one-year lease. <laughs> Please don't total um, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and that's what they right and uh, you know you, you never know. Um, I mean that's what the AAC is at this point. I, I um, they are they are the by far the best mid-major conference group of five, whatever we're supposed to be calling them. But they are still like I mean the hires they've made. If they had the same even even half the money that the Big Twelve right. did, they'd probably be on par with the Big Twelve at this point. They just don't. They don't have that contract. They're not going to have that contract. And so the AAC has to basically be like a nuclear powered MAC uh, in just hiring great young coach after great young coach. I guess Kiffin's not that young, but just making great coaching hires, keeping them for two years, losing them, and then making another great hire. And, um, you know, that'll be, that was tested before. It'll be tested this year now that they've lost Tom Herman, now that they've lost um, Willie and Matt Rule. Uh, but they still have, you know, Norvell looks good. Phil Montgomery kind of has a Baylor stink on him, I guess, but has done very good things at Tulsa very quickly. Um, you know, now, now Cincinnati might bring in somebody new because Tuberville was kind of the odd man out there, but Willie Fritz is still there. Like they still have a bunch of interesting uh, coaches that will probably get hired away as soon as they win some games and then they'll have to hire new ones. So that's just, I mean, that's life and it kind of stinks, but uh, you know, USF made a good hire last time. They might make another one. Uh, 
uh, a, a friend of uh, a, a, a frequent tweeter of the program at um, real D Anconia says most exciting players on unranked teams, particularly are ones that will be around next year. Well, I think his name is Steven. Um, I'm blanking now because he changed his name yeah, to um, row the boat, but I'm pretty sure it's Steven. Um, I, l- let me introduce you to a running back uh, that we've heard about recently named Ty Johnson. Um, I think he's a guy to keep up. He, he plays with this, uh, this, this program in the big 10. I think he's a name to keep an eye on. Yeah. I'm in on the Ty Johnson. I'm telling you, get on the Ty Johnson tray with me. We'll ride it together. Uh, and it will go to great places. That's, that's my prediction. Um, I, I, it was a shame when you said, um, it'll be around next year. And I guess the, the guy who asked the question, the guy or girl, the guy or girl who asked the question, um, probably is already aware of Corey Davis. I'm excited for America to see Corey Davis in the Cotton Bowl, and he's a senior, so he'll yeah. be gone. Um, but he's amazing. I mean, he, he might be um, <laughs> might be the best receiver in the country. I, I don't know. There's a lot of receivers in the country, but he's certainly in that conversation. Um, he's great. Um, I guess we don't – I think the American has a bunch – I mean, a bunch of those offenses in the American have pretty interesting skill players. Uh, Linnell Bonner at Houston is really good. I think he's just a junior um, receiver who went over a thousand yards this year. Um, I think he'll be around. Um, Tulsa has some guys with with Montgomery's yeah. offense that that they're really good. And um, I, I I would be lying if I told you that I knew all of their names off the top of my head. I should follow Tulsa more closely. But I think the American has a bunch of really good offenses with a bunch of guys. If I if memory serves, that are not seniors. So watch the American next year, especially. Um, what I'll add to this is, uh, well, first of all, his name is Steven. I'm giving him hell, but, um, the middle Tennessee did something pretty amazing this year with Brent Stockstill. Uh, no, you know, number one, I got to see, I had the good fortune of seeing Brent Stockstill in person, uh, a while back, uh, as he torched, uh, the Missouri defense. But I mean, number one, his release is absurd, absurdly quick. Uh, he gets, he, he locks on to where he's going. He gets the ball there very quickly. Uh, but they lost like three of probably, I don't even know. They're probably their top five or six receivers before the season even started. Like their, their, their fall camp was an absolute disaster. Um, but he has, he got hurt a few games ago, but he was averaging seven. He was completing like 65% of his passes, 27 to five touchdown interception ratio. And he was doing this with a sophomore, Richie James, who had 97 catches for 1500 yards, a freshman in Ty Lee who had 53 catches. Um, then, I mean, in theory, I don't remember right offhand which of the receivers they've got hurt and might be seniors and not coming back, but they, they will have some of 2015's better guys back next year along with James and Lee. That, I mean, I think their, their offense, their passing game is going to be astoundingly good. Um, so that's certainly a team to, to watch. Obviously, he's stuck still. What was it? He broke his like collarbone or something and then tried to go back in the game, and um, they said, you know, if you do that and you get hit, your your collarbone might like stab your heart and you'll die or something. So they didn't let him go back in the game. But uh, he is outstanding, and I uh, had the good fortune of seeing him in person as he was being outstanding. Uh, by the way, we just got a message from Morgan who uh, had to um, step out for a call real quick. She will be back, but now Alex, it's just you and me. Um, oh no, I said in ten minutes. Oh, in ten minutes. <laughs> Well, that's that's that. I don't read. I write. I, I don't read things. Um, <laughs> hi, Morgan. Um, Sorry about so, that. <laughs> who who is your? I uh, know. I think that, that that was me. You were very clear in your message. Uh, who is your unranked, exciting underclass player to watch? Uh, right off the top of your head for for uh, twenty sixteen. 
2017. God, now I'm all out of sorts. Ooh. I was immediately going to fall back on USF, by the uh, way, but now you know, they're starting over, sort of. So we'll see. I was going to do the same with WKU because they've got some young guys too, but there's, I mean, they're starting over too. So I don't know. Does that count still? <laughs> Mike White at WKU. He's a junior. Uh, Quentin mm. Flowers, he's a junior, right? Okay. Go yeah. with him. And he's probably, he's not going to go, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Quentin Flowers running a, a Lane Kiffin system. Lane Kiffin, by the way, to circle back to that one for a second, he, I, I, I kind of felt the last couple of years he was getting a little too much credit. Like, congratulations for fielding, like, a top 25 offense with top five talent. Um, he has been amazing this year. Uh, take, I mean, obviously they had a, a, an experienced receiving core, but, you know, taking a bunch of freshmen and sophomore running backs and a freshman quarterback and doing what they have done, uh, especially over the last two months, as, uh, you know, we take Alabama for granted, but what they've been on offense this year has been very, very, very impressive. So kudos to, to Kiffin for that. I think his versatility at quarterback with Alabama, being able to coach, I mean, he made Blake Sims, which – this isn't a knock yeah. on Blake Sims, but he made him look real good. And going from that to Jake Coker all the way to Jalen Hurts, I mean, it's yeah. it's impressive that he can take with what he's dealt and and do the type of stuff that he's been doing <laughs> on the field. Absolutely. Alabama does not have a 1,000-yard rusher this year. I mean, it's, it's yeah. incredible. So many, so many different guys um, – have been involved. I mean, it's, I, I know it's mainly mainly four guys, you know, four or five hundred plus yard rushers. But I mean, just getting so many different guys involved. And by the way, all of their top four running backs are sophomores and freshmen. Quarterback yeah, is yeah, terrifying. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying what they're doing with yeah. young guys right now. It's ridiculous. Everyone else, everyone else is screwed. There, there is no tomorrow. <laughs> Um, at Chris Barnawal asks, uh, "Is there any way to save the AAC from being pillaged?" You're not listening, Chris. I just said no. Um, let's see what other questions are we actually, we are at like almost to an hour 10. So I I guess we really probably need to wrap up, uh, especially if Morgan is not out, but we'll be in about six minutes. Uh, one more question then. Let's see. Taggart, Taggart. Uh, can you convince this is from at the Schlem bear? I love using Twitter handles instead of real names. Um, (laughs) Can you convince schools, looking at you, Temple, that hiring Joe Moorhead is bad? Thanks. Why? Uh, Why would anyone try to convince anyone that was bad? What's What's the knock there? I'm actually, I'm legitimately I'm curious. No, I'm I'm assuming that he is a. Um, oh, he's a Tem- he's a Penn State fan. Well, actually, his uh, hold on a second. His uh, icon here is. Oh no no it was it's it's Mark D'Antonio looking angry because Penn State is driving on them. Got it. Uh, so he's a Penn State fan. Uh, who who uh, presumably does not want Joe Moorhead to leave. Um, I, you know, this James Franklin just kicked the offseason's ass this year. And I think that we, we it was kind of funny. We went straight from uh, James Franklin hot seat to Penn State playoff that we kind of ignored the part in the middle where, holy crap, did James Franklin turn everything around with a couple of hires. Um they have a young. I mean, uh, McSorley is a sophomore. Uh, Barkley is a sophomore. Their 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 receiving core is mostly underclassmen. Uh, the, I think I would assume then if he makes it even a decent offensive coordinator hire to replace Joe Moorhead, that that would still be um, they would still be kind of set for a nice run last, next year. But you do always when you bring in a, a great offensive wizard and you get to you, especially at Penn State, who hasn't really had an exciting. Even when they had a good offense, they didn't have an exciting offense. Um, 
it, it would be kind of a, a tease of sorts to basically say, look at this thing. Okay, now he's gone. Uh, start over. Um, so, I, I, you know, we'll see. Temple has been successful enough that they might prefer an internal hire, uh, an internal promotion from, uh, you know, now that rule's gone. But he, Moorhead's going to be an attractive option really, really quickly. Oh, yeah, no. I think what's really impressive, too, is, I mean, th- their roster – it is more experienced. Um, a lot of their big-time freshmen have not even factored in this year. I mean, really, it's been you know just guys who were who were freshmen, sophomores, juniors last year who have gotten a lot better. The offensive line, um, I, I believe, they replaced their offensive line coach um, after last year. I, I believe Matt Limegrover uh, is the coach. Well, I know he is now because I'm looking at it. I yeah, think yeah, Herb yeah. Penn was the coach last year, and the offensive line was terrible. Um, I think part of the reason that it's been so much better this year. I mean, Trace McSorley's been a revelation, and I think Moorhead's scheme, and this is a, a big thing that Moorhead's done really well, I think he's realized that he has an offensive line that's had some pretty big pass protection problems. McSorley gets rid of the ball so quickly. I mean, it, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, it, one of the best passing offenses in the country, um, and it, even when he throws deep, I mean, he's only dropping three steps, and he's, he's just firing it, and he has like four, four receivers who can catch the deep ball, um, makes the offensive line, looks better, kind of coaches away from Penn State's weaknesses. Um, even though I think the running game actually isn't even even though Barkley's great, the running game as a whole hasn't been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not at all. I think when Penn State, um, the the fact that Penn State has managed to be so good passing the ball with an offensive line that, by all indications, shouldn't be that good, um, is is a real testament to scheme. Mm, no, I, mean, not I, th- at all. I think Moorhead's done an amazing job. Yeah, no, they've are, they've been inefficient they're not they're not yet efficient as an offense as a whole and yet they still produced enough big plays to score a ton of points against even pretty decent defenses so uh, power to them I, i've been very impressed all right uh final words uh morgan's got a t- morgan is officially going to be gone here shortly uh i'll give you the floor any final words for the pap the papin audience <laughs> uh final words thanks for having me on um <laughs> hope you all enjoyed my input and my love of Lane Kiffin as a head coach candidate. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Hopefully right. we can do it again sometime. Yeah. And, and by the way, Kiffin's uh, the, the fact that we all love Lane Kiffin right now makes me very uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> Why would that be though? How could that be? Which means I know, he's going to, he's going to, he's got it, our hopes up and then he's just going to do what he did. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna he's gonna break our hearts all over again. Any, any number of different things could trip Lane Kiffin up at any time, but it's been a fun little turnaround for him here. Uh, Alex, final words. It's been fun. Sorry if we uh, <laughs> if, if I specifically dragged down this great podcast uh, with with my lack of use of acronyms and uh, quick lane the quick lane bowl takeover, but it's been fun. Thanks for listening. Yeah, neither of you cursed nearly enough. I um, that, that's kind of you know you'll you'll get a you'll get a talking to it from Godfrey about that. But otherwise, I would say you did pretty well. So you know, all right. So this um, I am glad we got an opportunity to talk to a couple uh, more members of the SB Nation team here, and I hope everybody really enjoys the work we've done this season, the work we'll do in bowl season, and uh, this is where usually where Godfrey says you should we do this again next week, and I say yes, but. Um, I'll just say yes for, for I'll, I'll ask myself the question. I'll say yes. And then uh, we'll just move on. So bye guys.